is this? Hello? This is Ann. Ready? Hello? Who's there? I'm talking. Hello? Can you hear me now? Good. Oh, good to see you this morning. How you doing? Good, good. Beautiful fall day. Glad you're here this morning. If you have your Bibles with you, would you take them and turn to Malachi, last book of the Old Testament. Go to Matthew, turn backwards into a turn left. You'll find Malachi. Malachi chapter one. We're going to continue a series that we've entitled Straight Talk, although we could have entitled it, uh, Can You Hear Me Now? That would have been a good one too. And, and uh, we're going to continue on a journey as we look at what I call the Church of Israel, because there's a lot of commonality, similarities between Israel and the Old Testament and how God might be speaking to us as a church today and we can apply a lot of those things into our life. I've been a pastor now uh, since uh, April, I think it was the second weekend, uh, 1989. Second weekend of April, 1989 is when I took my first church and kind of started there and have been doing that ever since. So what is that, 32, 33 years or whatever? And you know, you ever wonder... If you would have taken a different career path, would that, you know, how would that have impacted you? Would it, would it, they say different careers impact your health and impact your, your physical appearance and such. And uh, they actually have a computer software now which can, can show you, had you taken a different direction, this, this is what you might have, might have looked like. And th- there, there's mine. <laughs> I'm telling you, I, I know what I want for Christmas, uh, plugs. That's what I want, I want plugs. But anyway, so uh, no, I'm just kidding. That's a little bit of fun. And when you have friends who know how to use their phones, they send that kind of stuff to you. But anyway, my friend, uh, I have a friend in ministry who was telling me a story uh, several years ago of, of um, being in a, a Red Lobster restaurant around, I think it was on a, on a Valentine's Day. And he said that as uh, my wife and I were sitting there in Red Lobster, we saw uh, an elderly couple walk in. And he said they were such a a sweet looking couple. He said, uh, we couldn't help but watch them. And he said they they walked in hand in hand. And he said, presumably they'd been married many years. And he said they they sat down and uh, they they ordered their meal. And uh, then the, then the, the husband took out a card and put it across and it was old Valentine and the lady opened it up and she just kind of smiled and then she reached and she got her card and handed it back across the, the table and then after the meal was done uh, she pulled out of her purse a little bag of these little candy hearts and uh, she took one and she'd read it and she'd kind of smile and she'd hand it across to him and he'd see it and then they'd, they'd eat these little candy hearts together it's pretty cool. When you see someone who's been together a long time who shows that kind of love and intentionality, it, 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 I don't know, it just kind of makes your heart sore. It's interesting because when you get into Malachi chapter 1, if I can be fair to this passage, it's the very opposite is taking place. God is looking at the nation of Israel and he's... Uh, He's beginning to kind of speak to them about some things that are missing in their relationship. And if, uh, if I could just be so bold as to kind of interject, it's, it's as if the Lord is saying, you don't, you don't give me candy hearts anymore. 
And so in Malachi chapter 1, as he's speaking to this nation of Israel in a very corrective manner, but very straight, we see that there's a little bit of accusation, but there's also a tremendous invitation that is taking place. Here's what he says in verse 6. A son honors his father and a servant his master. If I am the father, then where is the honor due me? If I'm a master, where is the respect that is due me, says the Lord Almighty. It is you, O priest, who show contempt for my name, but you ask, well, how have we shown contempt for your name? You place defiled food on my altar, but you ask, how have we defiled you? By saying that the Lord's table is contemptible, when you bring blind animals for sacrifice, is that not wrong? When you sacrifice crippled or diseased animals, is that not wrong? Try offering those to your governor. Would he be pleased with you? Would he accept you? Says the Lord Almighty. Now implore God to be gracious with us. With such offerings from your hands, will he accept you? Says the Lord Almighty. Oh, that one of you would shut the temple doors so that you would not light useless fires on my altar. I'm not pleased with you, says the Lord Almighty, and I will accept no offering from your hands. In verse 11, this actually becomes an invitational. My name will be great among the nations from the rising to the setting of the sun. In every place, incense and pure offerings will be brought to my name because my name will be great among the nations, says the Lord Almighty. Now, when you read down through that passage, there are, there are two really powerful phrases or statements that are made, at least to me, that really kind of impact me. The first one is defiled animals or defiled food on my altar. He looks at them, and what you need to understand is how God views this whole thing of sacrifice. Now, now we, we don't do sacrifice like that. Okay, we don't, we don't have a physical altar table where we give sacrifice, but in the Old Testament, the altar was the place of God's people's worship. It was the place of sacrifice. It was indicative of worship. In fact, you'll notice that throughout the Old Testament, that every time there was a broken relationship between his people and God, there was also a broken altar. And so many times, God would say that before you can really worship me, you gotta restore the altar, you gotta bring it back again. And it's a really powerful imagery. Now when he looks at them, in the book of Leviticus alone, and over and over, God says that when you bring a sacrifice, it has to be absolutely without defect. 18 times in the book of Leviticus, he says, when you bring the animal, it has to be without defect. It has to be without defect because God wants them to place the very best before him. He wants them to bring not just the first fruit or the first animal, but he wants them to bring the very best that they have because it's indicative of how they feel toward God. And so what he's saying to them, by virtue of the fact that you're bringing crippled animals, you're bringing blind animals that you couldn't sell, you couldn't, you couldn't use them anywhere else, and so you kind of bringing the leftovers to me, it's a really strong accusation. When I was a, um, 
a kid, I used to uh, raise animals, and, and uh, uh, I never raised a calf for funds. My dad did, but I didn't. But my dad allowed me to, uh, to buy pigs, and, and I would raise the pigs with my dad. I took care of the pigs, and then we'd only had, you know, maybe 12, 15 at a time. And, and so I had one. I wasn't very good at picking pigs, by the way. My first pig was a runt, and it died after about a month and a half. And then my second pig, there was something as it grew, it had some kind of a, I never knew pigs could get arthritis, but it had arthritis. And so this pig couldn't walk correctly. It, it had a really hard time even getting up. And so I remember when we were taking it to auction that we got marked down. I got marked down because it was considered a, a crippled animal. It, it wasn't even really wanted in the, in, the, uh, in the auction because of that. And so I have a very vivid picture of what was being brought before the Lord. They were kind of bringing that, that, that which nobody else would really want, including the governor. He said, your governor wouldn't even accept these things. That's a really strong statement. The second one that strikes me is that they were, they were building useless fires on the altar. He says, oh, that you would shut the temple doors. He said, I'd rather you didn't even come. He said, he said, oh, that you would shut the temple doors so that you would not light useless fires on my altar. Man, think about that, useless fire. He says, you're going through the motions, you're doing the object of worship, and yet as you do so, it really has no impact. It's, it's kind of like, uh, in, in my backyard, I like to make fires every once in a while, we like to sit back there. It's very, my backyard is very wooded in the back of it, and I, that's what we love about our house, is that it, in the, especially in the summer and such, it's just a very secluded area. But one of the problems is a lot of sunlight doesn't get back there, and so I stack wood back there, and because it's a softer wood, we got a lot of birch around our, our house, that it picks up moisture, and then when you go to burn it, it just kind of smokes. Have you ever noticed that when you're sitting around a fire that there's a, somehow this fire has a conscience because when, when, no matter where you sit, doesn't matter what direction the wind is from, it, it'll always come toward you. It's just kind of how it is and you kind of find yourself going around the circle and that smoke, it's not really giving much fire off, it's not giving much warmth off, but it is just kind of irritating your eyes and so I always think of that when I think of that passage. Why? Why did God take time in his word to address this with the church of Israel, it's real simple. Worship is a really big deal to God. The word worship means to give worth to God. It's the Latin word actually, literally, worship. It, it means that we're lifting up God. And worship is a really important thing because worship isn't just coming together corporately for a time of worship. Sean and his team come up here and they lead us in singing or the choir may sing a song and pastor may do a message and we think that that's worship but actually worship is everything we are. It's the attitude with which we come in. It's the, it's the greeting, actually fellowship itself and connecting with other believers is part of worship but you actually can worship at home. And I don't mean those who are watching at home, but in your private times of prayer, your private times of adoration, in your private study of God's word, even in your car, the way you treat your family, the way you do your work with integrity, all of it is considered a, a, a way to bring glory to God, which is worship. In fact, the Hebrew word for worship is not Yahweh. That's the word for God. It is the word Ha-Way. It means that you become worship. Literally, your life 
becomes a worship service to God. And so in this passage, rather than just accusational, it's invitational. And he says, I want to see your life become a worship service to me, which is going to do three things properly. Number one, I want you to have a proper view of who God is. I want you to see me the way that you're supposed to view me. That's why he says in this passage, these words. He says, a son honors his father and a servant his master. If I am a father, where is the honor due me? If I am a master, where is the respect due me? God wants to have priority in your life. To have a proper view of God means that he is in first position. That word priority, it's an interesting word. It means front of brain. To, put, to have somebody or something as a priority in your life means that it is in first place. It's at the very front of your mind, the front of your brain. If your family is your priority, you're making your family front of your brain. If you're making God a priority, he is in a first place in your life. And another word for that, by the way, in this passage is honor. Honor means reverence. Honor means first place. Honor means a place of, of special worship. And he says, I want to be priority in your life, but I don't just want to be priority in your life I want to be preeminent in your life. The word preeminence means in the highest position. Another word for that is respect. God not only wants to be at the front of what you're thinking about and how you manage your life, that means that when God speaks into our life, we're, we're asking ourselves, what does God think about this? If I'm going into a business, if I'm buying a house, if I'm buying a car, if I'm making decisions about life, what does God think about this? And it's not just that, because God is in the preeminent position, I am submitting to him, showing him respect. It's an issue of lordship. Let me give you a third way God wants us to view him. It's with adoration. Do you know that the word adore is a word that in Scripture is reserved only for God? Adoration. It means that we are willingly, not out of obligation, coming before the Lord. That's why he says that when you come to the altar, you say to yourself, such a burden. But he said, but what I'm looking for are individuals who come, who bring incense. It's, a, it's almost like a perfume. They're giving love gifts to me. It, the word for adoration is love. And God says, I want you to view me with first place priority. I want you to Worship me with preeminence, which means I get to call the shots, and I want you to do it not out of obligation, but out of a sense of love. Worship. Whether it's here at Colonial Woods or whatever your church home is, or, or whether it's in a corporate place of worship, or whether it's in a private place, or whether it's the way you do life, God says, I want you to view me in the proper way. Now, there's a second concept that comes out of this passage. And again, you have to make application because we don't, we don't sacrifice animals. We, we do worship a little different. 
with Christ now in our lives, as he comes into the world, he transitions in a whole different way. And the second concept is you, you got to do so with the right attitude. And the right attitude is humility. Say that with me, would you? Humility. God wants us to look at him with humility. He wants us to understand that he is preeminent. He wants us to understand that he is God and we are not. And sometimes we get those confused. Sometimes in life we think we're God and God's just kind of a suggestion. No, no, no. He says, I am God. In fact, that's why he says in this passage, I love the, the imagery that comes out of it. He says, my name will be great among the nations from the rising to the setting of the sun. In every place, incense and pure offerings will be brought in my name because my name will be great among the nations. God says, I am higher than all others. It is not an arrogant statement. It is not a selfish statement. It is simply God created all things. Colossians says he created all things by him and for him. And our purpose is to understand that one of the great passages of scripture is in Isaiah chapter 6 it says in the year that King Uzziah died I saw the Lord seated on a throne high and exalted and the train of his robe filled the temple this is a vision that Isaiah gets of God and he says, above him were seraphs, each with six wings. With two wings, they covered their faces. With two, they covered their feet. And with two, they were flying. And they were calling to one another, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. And Isaiah, in response to this, simply said, woe am I. I am a man of unclean lips. Now, what happened? He goes, I'm ruined. And so what, 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 what the vision is, is that Isaiah literally fell down and he lowered himself and he said, woe am I. I am a man of unclean lips. It wasn't because Isaiah was a bad guy. It's that he realized that in comparison to the holiness of God, his proper place was to, to, to go low. Humility isn't thinking little of yourself, by the way. Humility is having the proper view of yourself. Not thinking too highly or too lowly. And, and when we come before God, God says, I want you to, yes, I want you to come. I'm the God who pursues you. But what should really, what should really impact you is that I am the God who pursues you, even though you're not really worthy of that. It's an incredibly humbling thought. David in Isaiah 95, if you have your Bibles there, or if you have your note sheets, here's what he says. He says, come, let us worship and bow down. Let us kneel before the Lord, our maker. For he is our God and we are the people of his pasture and the flock under his care. Notice what he does there. He gives us some biblical postures. He says, let's bow. Bowing is, is this right here. It's just simply going low before God. There's the picture of humility in that. He says, let's kneel. Now, I gotta be honest with you, I'm kind of impressed that I got down on my knees as fast as I did that last time. I've, I, I've laid a little carpet over the last couple days, one of the duplexes of the church here. And I gotta, can I just be honest with you? I don't do that very much anymore. And uh, I woke up this morning and let's just say, Thank God for Advil. I took some Advil this morning. But when I get down on my knees, notice what this does. 
We used to do this a lot as ki- when I was a kid in church. We'd kneel as a congregation. And I realize not everybody can kneel. I can kneel. I have a hard time getting back up. That's why I use this stool, right? But in the attitude of my heart, kneeling is saying, Lord, I'm submitting myself to you. I'm humbling myself before you. In fact, there's even this picture in Scripture. It's face down. Which means, Lord, I'm broken before you. I told a story several weeks ago, back in 2018, we had a a focus in our our, uh, Awaken Conference on prayer. And the last night, there was an invitation to come before the Lord with needs in your heart. And I remember my wife and I coming, and you know, we came over here, we kind of got to the side there because frankly, this was all full, we couldn't get up here. And I remember as we began to pray for three specific people in our life, we just, we just collapsed onto the stage and began to just be broken before God because brokenness is a place where we're recognizing I don't have any answers. But God, you do. And when we honor God, whether it be physically in our gestures or with it be the position of our heart, and we show humility toward God, Scripture says that God opposes the proud but brings grace to the humble. He lifts them up. In 2 Chronicles, where it gives a promise for praying for your nation, he says, if my people who are called by my name will humble themselves, it just simply means that you recognize you are not God and I am. God says that when you worship me, whether it be corporately or whether it be individually in your private life, when you come before me, I want you to see me in the right way, to have the right view, but I also want you to have the right attitude, which is understanding that even though God invites us into his presence, we're really not worthy, but he invites us anyway through Jesus Christ. That's what's so incredible about the cross. When you consider the scripture uses analogy and pictures like it's the king's chambers and we're invited to come into the inner sanctuary, the inner chambers of the king. We are invited to go where we were never invited to go because of what Christ has done for us on the cross. It's a humbling thing. We sing so many good songs that express view and express attitude. One of them that we sang in the first hour toward the end of the service, um, you may or may not know it. It's, uh, I love you, Lord. Simple little chorus. If you know it, sing it with me, would you? I love you, Lord. And I lift my voice to worship you, O my soul, rejoice. Take joy, my King, 
in what you hear. May it be a sweet, sweet sound in your ear. If you're able to stand, stand with me, would you? We exalt Thee. We exalt Thee. We exalt Thee. That word exalt means to lift him into the highest place. God is not simply making an accusation. He's making an invitation. See me in my proper place. See you in your proper place. And then we come to the third one, which is having the proper heart in worship. Now, interesting, because Scripture when it talks about having the right heart. Boy, we could go a long ways on this. But, but a passage we looked at several weeks ago speaks powerfully to us. First uh, Timothy chapter 2, verse 8, Paul says, I want men, I assume women, I want men and women everywhere to lift up holy hands to the Lord. Without, by the way, without anger or disputing. So when God speaks and when Paul is teaching us about worship, he says, I want you to have holy hands before the Lord. You know what that means? It just simply means my conscience is clear. It doesn't mean that you're perfect, that you've done everything, but between me and the Lord, there is nothing this morning that has been unaddressed before the Lord. That's in my walk with him. Then he says, without anger or dispute, which means what? That in my relationships with others, I've done everything I can to have right relationship. That's why Jesus said, if you're at the altar making your gift and you know that someone has something against you, leave your gift at the altar. Go and make it right with that person. Right? He says, let's make sure that when we come, we come with the right heart, that we come in in right relationship, clear conscience, and then the second part of it is and fully surrendered. Lord, whatever you speak to me about this morning, I'm going to just say yes to you. I'm not going to delay. I'm not going to put you off. When you speak, I will listen and I will obey. When I was, uh, well, not when I was any particular age, but you know, before we had cell phones, we had something called... uh, Uh, answering machines. Any of you know what I'm talking about? Yeah, some of you don't know. Okay, you know what? An answering machine is voicemail and an actual box. 
and we used something called tape in it. Some of them were electronic. And we had phones that you couldn't carry around with you uh, unless it, because it, it was attached to a, a line or something like that. I'm just making fun, but we uh, didn't always have cell phones. And I remember I used to have one uh, early in our, in our adult life, and, and uh, I'd come home, and when you would come home, you'd always check the, the answering machine, and there'd be a little, if a light was blinking on it, you knew that you had a message, somebody had called. And I'll be honest, I kind of like those answering machines because you could listen to the message, and nobody knew you listened to the message. Like now, if, if you, especially if you're on iPhone, if somebody reads a text, these little bubbles show up and they show that you've read a text. And then you sit there waiting for them to respond to you and going, hey, I know they got the message and it's that whole thing. I don't know if Android does it or not. But back then, you could listen to a message. Frankly, you could delay for two or three days. They had no idea if or when you got the message. Kind of gave you a little control. I never did it, ever, but I heard other people did. <laughs> it's really interesting how many of us have an answering machine with God. And God calls. And we say, that's nice. Someday I may do something with that. Do you know, if I've learned anything about a walk with the Lord is that when the, when the Lord calls, when the Lord speaks, that's when he wants you to listen and obey. I don't know anywhere in Scripture I ever saw anything that ever suggests that God is okay with us just delaying. And so this morning, as we've been sharing a little bit of what God is inviting us to, God is inviting our very lives to become worship. Ha, way. That we are to become worship to God, bringing Him glory and honor and praise in the highest place. With the way that we view Him, with the understanding of how we view ourselves and then with the heart that is ready when God speaks. So Father, thank you for your word. Maybe it's the lens through which I look at it, but while they are strong words, I always know that behind the strong words are a beautiful invitation. You have said over and over in your word, return to me, I'll return to you. You always want us to be in communion and in the highest place of relationship with you. And you've made that possible through Jesus Christ. So Lord, this morning, we want you to know we love you. Make our lives a living worship service to you. In Jesus' name, amen. I'm gonna invite you to stand. I've asked Sean to lead us in just a couple of songs as we close today. My prayer is that these would not be lyrics that you repeat, but that they would be prayers that you pray.
here I am. Oh, here I am to worship. Here I am to bow down. Here I am to say, You're all together lovely, all together worthy, all together wonderful to me. Sing that again. Here I am to song in itself is not what you have required you search much deeper within through the way things appear you're looking into my heart coming back I'm coming back to the heart of worship and it's all about you, it's all about you, Jesus. I'm sorry, Lord, think I made it. When it's all about you, yes, it's all about you, Jesus. I'm coming back to the heart of Sing it out. It's all about you. Lord, on that note sheet, I, I wrote down a, a prayer that not everything might be applicable, but forgive me, Lord. When I've had too low of a view of who you are, or I have been delayed in my obedience, or I have casually come into your presence, or I've allowed things of attitude and sin to linger in my life as I've been presenting sacrifice before your altar. And Lord, my desire is to be a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to you, and that we would be a church full of living worship services and that father that that would spread into our workplaces and our homes and our community and our region and our state and our country and our world because you are god and i am not help me to walk in an attitude of worship this week i pray and I look forward to being able to come together again next week as we, your worship services, come together for a time of worship. We love you.
It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.